The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. Amen. Thank you. Are you guys familiar with that old hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded? There's a line in there that says, Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. It's a wonderful, great hymn of the faith. Well, if you turn with me to John 13, we're continuing in our series of how Jesus makes a disciple, and the case study is all his encounters with Peter, Simon Peter. And this is the story of Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet. John Gershner who was R.C. Sproul's mentor, and they're both with, with the Lord now. R.C. Sproul passed away in the past year. And uh, Gers- Sproul always tells these humorous stories. Well, he tells a story of John Gershner, who was very formal and very authoritarian, powerful preacher, theologian. And he was a guest preacher at a church, and he was going to do a few baptisms as well that morning. And so when he got to the church, he noticed that each infant had a white rose that had been pinned onto their outfit. And so he was curious and he asked, what does the rose symbolize? And the two elders that were there said, it symbolizes the child's purity and innocence. And so then Gershner followed up with a question, well then what does the water symbolize? And they said, well that represents cleansing from sin. And then they looked at each other and said, I guess they shouldn't really have a white rose pinned on. (laughs) They got it. What does the water symbolize in this story? Cleansing from sin. Let's give attention to this wonderful story. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord... Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Father, show us your son. Help us to see what he has done for us, who he is, and what difference that makes on this very day. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us and that we would bring forth fruit, good fruit, out of our hearts that would be pleasing to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at three things briefly this morning. Jesus' provision, Peter's protest, and Jesus' pattern for our life. First of all, we see this provision. These first five verses of John 13, what do we see? There's some astounding things that John just tells us. He tells us of Jesus' sovereignty, of his love, and his humility. In his sovereignty, he knows everything that's going to happen to him. None of us can say that. He knows his hour has come to depart from this world, verse 1. We don't know when that's going to be. He knows, he also knows in verse 3, it says, The Father had given all things into his hands. And that he had come from God and was going back to God. This obviously is not a mere man, no mere prophet, no mere priest. says any such thing because it would be blasphemy. But John writes this about Jesus because he's telling us the truth. That Jesus is God in the flesh and that Jesus has a mission to accomplish. And so Jesus gives us a parable or a metaphor or a picture that is tangibly demonstrated and felt and experienced by each of the disciples as their feet get cleansed by the Lord of glory. And we read over this many times. Some of us, this is old hat. And we say, isn't this nice? Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Now go and do likewise. Amen. Let's go home and feel good about ourselves. Well, it isn't until you begin to comprehend that Jesus is the undercover boss of undercover bosses. He's the CEO of the universe. Just let that sink in. And then you start to begin to clean out the fog a little bit. What is really going on here? Who is Jesus? Charles Spurgeon, great preacher from the 1800s, said this about Jesus. Look at him. Can your imagination picture him? Behold his transcendent glory. The majesty of kings is swallowed up. The pomp of empires dissolves like the white mist of the morning before the sun. The brightness of assembled armies is eclipsed. He's brighter than the sun, more terrible than armies with banners. See him, see him. Oh, hide your heads, you monarchs. Put away your gaudy pageantry. You lords of this poor, narrow earth, his kingdom knows no bounds. Without a limit, his vast empire stretches out itself. Above him, all is his. Beneath him, many a step are angels, and they are his. And they cast their crowns before his feet. With them stands his elect and the ransomed, and their crowns too are his. And here upon this lower earth stands his saints, and they are his, and they adore him. And under the earth, among the infernals, where devils growl with their malice, even there is trembling and adoration, and where lost spirits with wailing and gnashing teeth Forever lament their being. Even there, there is the acknowledgement of the Godhead. Even through, even though the confession helps to make the fire of their torments. In heaven, in earth, in hell, all knees bend before him and every tongue confesses that he is God. He's God over all. Blessed forever, Romans 9, 5. 
So when you start to get that in your, in your mind, and you think about what he's doing here, the angels have to cover their feet and they cover their face because they're not worthy to be in his presence. And so if you had read verse 3 and you didn't know the story, would you have expected verse 4? I mean, just read verse 3. You're thinking you're reading along and it just says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was coming from God and he was going back to God, what do you anticipate is going to come next? What is the great general going to do that he's now setting up his mission? He's going to go conquer and to conquest. He's going to win victory. What is he going to do? Verse 4. What? Well, it starts pretty good. He rose from supper. All right, here it is. Here it comes. Going to lay out a speech, going to give his marching orders. He didn't do any of that. He laid aside his outer garments, taken a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Really? That's our Lord? Yes. You see, Jesus' actions in verse 5 represent in microcosm or in small story of what he did in the big story. It's the little story to get you to see the big story. It's all about he left heaven. He rose and he came down to earth. He arose from his throne. He laid aside the outward expression of his glory and he became a servant, took on flesh and humbled himself to die on a cross. The church has been confessing this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. One of my favorite creeds is the Nicene Creed. And we say about Jesus, we confess that we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from his Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father, and through him all things were made. That's who Jesus is. And then we get what he did and why. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. We should take a big gulp every time we give that expression of, of that creedal expression. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. Third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. You see, Jesus is demonstrating Philippians 2 right here in John 13. You remember Philippians 2. We're told to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility Consider others better than ourselves to look not only to our own interests, but to the interest of others. Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Jesus is demonstrating by washing the disciples' feet and cleansing them. It's a bigger picture of the great story of condescension. And if you look up this interesting, this word condescension, if you look it up, it's all in a negative context. 
Every synonym for condescension is like pompous, arrogant. There's only one person who condescends in a, in a humble way, and that's Jesus. Other, the, we don't even have the, a word to, to use for this. Well, Jesus condescends. He came down. And when he came down, and you imagine he's, he's going around and he's washing these disciples' feet, and he gets to Peter. And Peter is just, you going to wash my feet? And then he says, I mean, you think about this. Jesus is doing what the servants was to do, the lowest servant. Remember John the Baptist? What did he say about Jesus? He said, I'm not worthy to untie the throng of his sandal. This is the greatest prophet, Jesus says. And he says, I'm not even worthy to begin washing his feet. I can't even take the throng off his sandal. I can't even loosen his sandal. This Jesus is so incredible. And here Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And this is not like, you know, Today, you think, you know, concrete, asphalt. Hey, you guys ever been to third world country and you walk the streets? Uh, there, there's not a separate lane for the poo and the, and, the, and the urine, okay? It's all right there mixed in and it is just dust and dirt. And, that's, and you would sit and recline and your feet would be in somebody's face. And it would have a little bit of chalked in dung and, and urine mixed in it with it from animals. And so Jesus, what he's doing here is he's doing the job of yuckiness, all right, this is not some little clean, little once a year, let's have a little foot washing and make ourselves feel good, okay? This is nothing like that. This is Jesus is doing something that's disgusting. And Peter objects. I mean, he, he, he rightly thinking, no, this can't be. And so he stages a protest. And then he even says, I like how this verse in the original, he says, he basically says, you will never, ever wash my feet. I mean, he throws in a double negative with eternity thrown in or to the ages. Best translated, you shall never, ever wash my feet. It reminds me a lot of the character that C.S. Lewis describes in The Great Divorce where he illustrates these various vices that have kept people out of heaven. And one of the characters in this fictional story is this ghost that's eaten up with pride. And the dialogue goes like this. He says, what do you keep on arguing for? I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. You remember that line? And so the idea, and that the other ghost says, well, do it. Ask for the bleeding charity. Everything is here for the asking and nothing can be bought. That may, that may you work for you. That may be very well for you, I dare say, if they choose to let in a bloody murder all because he makes a poor mouth at the last moment. Then there's look out. But I, I don't see myself going in the same boat as you see. Why should I? I don't want charity. I'm a decent man. If I have my rights, I've been here long ago. And you can tell him I said so. Yeah, well, Jesus said to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You see, Jesus' humble service must be humbly accepted. It's actually harder to have somebody wash your feet than to wash somebody else's feet, isn't it? He gave his blood, and that's the bleeding charity to save us from our sins. Are you too good to need his help this morning? George Whitfield, the great preacher, the evangelist preacher in the 1700s, there's a story that Arnold Dallimore tells in the biography of him where he 
was able to preach to the Countess of Huntington, and she invited a duchess to hear Whitfield preach, and these were some pretty high-up people, and, and she got very offended, and she said, she wrote him a letter, and this is what she said, it is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but, but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiments so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. She was insulted. Unless I wash you, you have no part with, with me, Jesus says. A lady once came to R.C. Sproul and said, I've tried to ask God for forgiveness, but I just never feel forgiven, and I can't forgive myself. I just feel too bad. You know what he said to her? Just audacious. Sproul could get away with this. He looked at her and said, well, you actually haven't confessed the one sin that's really got you down. <laughs> she said, what? Your pride. You see, if you can't forgive yourself, who's the Lord of your conscience? Not God. You. Repent. Jesus is the Lord of your conscience. You see, Jonathan Edwards in his incredible sermon, The Excellency of Jesus Christ, he says this. He says about Jesus that he dispenses infinite justice with boundless grace. He has absolute sovereignty and dominion, yet he demonstrates perfect submission and obedience. He combines transcendent self-sufficiency with an entire trust and reliance upon the Father. He's the Lamb and the Lion of God. You approach him as the Lamb of God and he'll become a lion for you, defending you. But if you reject him as the Lamb of God, he will become a lion against you. Where are you this morning? Is he the Lion and the Lamb for you? You see, we learn from Peter here that we have to humbly receive Jesus' humble service, which was him coming to die for us. And if that's new news for you, it comes as, it's, it's insulting. It's like he had to come down, he had to come down and do what? Because we were that bad, that nobody could get to God, nobody could get to heaven, so God had to come down from heaven. And Jesus came down so that he could bring us to heaven. And then, Jesus says something astounding here. This isn't just his picture of what he's doing for us. It's also now a pattern for our life. He says this is the way to, to live out the Christian life, is that we're to be servants to one another. Are there things that are just way beneath you? Anything beneath you? You can't do that? You see, if there's one thing we learn from history in our own lives is that we're selfish, all of our problems in marriage, selfishness. All the problems in the home, at work, selfishness. The main ingredient behind these things, selfishness. The main reason for financial problems, selfishness. Manifesting itself in greed, self-indulgence. Why is there bitterness and resentment issues? Selfishness. Selfishness demanding its rights. Why is there anger and patience? Selfishness manifesting itself in control and power. Why is there laziness, sloth, gluttony? Selfishness manifesting itself in pleasure and comfort. Why is there fear of man in us and afraid to tell the truth in love? It's selfishness manifesting itself in approval. You see, it's, it's selfishness. And if you don't like this, well, it's probably self-pity manifesting itself. <laughs> and James said, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts don't boast about it or deny the truth such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly unspiritual and of the devil 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you're going to find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. So fathers, on Father's Day, what does this mean for you? Brian Chappell tells a story about a husband. He was counseling, doing a counseling session. It's in his book, Each for the Other. And the father thought he was, husband thought he was a good guy and he was doing a good job as the leader of the home. And so Brian Chappell just said, well, in your own terms, tell me every day what a typical day looks like about you being the head of the home. He says, well, when I come home from work and I, I want to relax at home, I still try to act as the head of the home. If my wife asks for some help with something in the kitchen or with the kids, parentheses, there were three preschoolers and including a set of twins. So if she asks for help, I flip a coin in my mind. If it comes up heads, I help. And if it comes up tails, I don't. That way there's no question of who's in charge. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't flip a coin with you hanging in the balances? You see, Jesus gave us an example to follow. Who's the horse in front of your chariot? Really? Who's leading you? Is it you? Or is it Jesus? Jesus said a servant's not greater than his master. And we're to follow his example of humble service. I want to close with telling you a story Elizabeth Elliot tells about her second husband. So you know her first husband was Jim Elliot. Many of you know her story. He was martyred to death with spears. Uh, trying to reach the Alka Indians, but she remarried and her second husband was Addison Leach. And he, at one point, was the dean of students at Grove City College. Any of you guys ever heard of that place? Yeah. And so she tells a story about one night as Addison Leach was the dean of students and there had been a huge food fight in the men's dorm. And it was in the middle of this thing going on that he was summoned out of bed and had to go and deal with the problem. And so he got dressed and he walked very unhappily across campus to get there. And the, all the lights are on in this dormitory and then you can see all these shadows of these kids all having a blast. Well, they had a lookout, obviously, because when he got to the door and opened it up, it was a graveyard. No, nobody was to be seen. Everybody was mysteriously asleep in their beds. And so he has to decide what he's gonna do. Food is everywhere. Walls, ceiling, there's ketchup, peanut butter, everything. And so first he thought, I'm going to start grabbing these boys and start pulling them out, making them clean up these things. Then he thought, no, this is a bigger mess. I'm going to have to have the cleaning crew do this tomorrow. They'll clean it up. And then he thought, you know what? I'm going to walk over to the janitor's closet. He went over and he opened it up and he got a bucket and a sponge and some water. And he went back into the hallway and he started working. And one kid peeked out and saw him and realized this is the dean of students. And he went and got his buddy. And he went and got his buddy. And they started getting all their buddies. And all the buddies came out that were mysteriously asleep and started helping and cleaned up the mess. Because leadership had shown itself to be humble servant leadership. That's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we praise you.
for the atonement for our sin that you came down. Lord, we thank you that you have forgiven us, set us free. Thank you for your spirit in us that we would no longer live for ourselves. And we ask that you would give us the attitude of Christ and that nothing would be below us. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.